Whether you want to travel more or communicate better with international clients, you need to try Babbel. I've used Babbel's courses and you can do the same in order to learn real life conversation skills in a different language, order food, ask for directions, or speak to clients without having to use translation apps. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription. This is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash freelance. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash freelance, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash freelance. Rules and restrictions apply. If you if you run into a roadblock, I think our first inclination is to despair. That's it. I'm done. I'm forget all of this. But that doesn't work. Despair doesn't work. Also, running around with your head cut off doesn't work either. What really works is getting back in touch with your customers and listening. So if you haven't done that in a while, if you haven't talked to a customer and said, you know, what's going on right now? How can I help you? What, what are you struggling with in your business? What's the main obstacle to this? You, you need to do that. That's, that is, there, there's no other way to get unstuck. Hello, I'm Brandon Hull, and this is Freelance the Founder, a podcast where we tell the real stories of solopreneurs who've scaled their businesses to something much bigger than themselves. On today's show, you'll hear the story of Justin Jackson. He's transformed from successful product manager and startup coach to new founder of Transistor.fm. Sometimes the recipe for entrepreneurial success is to try a lot of different ingredients and find out which ones work for you and for the customers you want to serve. That's exactly the case with Justin. Since he's just launched Transistor, we won't focus on that company today, but we will focus on what he's done to build a business that made Transistor even possible. Our story starts with an introverted, shy kid early on, one who loved computers. We're going to take you back in time to get introduced to the younger Justin Jackson and then fast forward into his early career and a new person altogether. Have you ever noticed that many of the problems people calling with on this show can be solved by hiring someone? Sometimes you need a full-fledged team, other times maybe just a simple assistant or an expert in something you're not great at. Whatever your reason for hiring, we recommend you take a look at LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. As you may know already, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. And LinkedIn Jobs makes the process of finding the perfect teammate easy and intuitive. Hiring is always easy when you have access to so many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours when using LinkedIn Jobs. I've used it myself, and it was so simple. In fact, I've made multiple hires using LinkedIn Jobs. And did I mention, by the way, it's free to business owners like me and you. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash freelance. That's linkedin.com slash freelance to post your job for free or click the link in our show description. Terms and conditions apply. 
You know, working from home is mostly great, but there are some days when I realize I haven't left my house or even my chair like all day. Have you been there? Getting outside to exercise or making a trip to the gym are just harder now that my office is just a flight of stairs away. If you're stuck in the same rut as me, then you should try Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W. With the Hydro rower and 20 minutes a day, getting a full body workout is so much easier. Hydro can work up to 86% of your muscles in just 20 minutes for an insane effective home workout. That's because Hydro pairs the effectiveness of rowing with the power of technology to connect you with over 5,000 video trainings, classes, and workouts. And get ready to get out from behind your home desk because after a few months of daily rowing with Hydro, your partner's gonna wanna take you out for a night on the town to show you off. This spring, join the growing rowing community at Hydro. Head over to hydro.com and use code FREELANCE to save up to $400 off your Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W.com and promo code FREELANCE to save $400. Hydro.com, promo code FREELANCE, or just click the link in our show description. Uh, the younger Justin Jackson was very shy. I have all sorts of memories. I'm the oldest of four kids, and I have all these memories of my sister, Sarah, who's two years younger than me. We would you know, go camping, and Sarah would go out, and she would find she's quite social and she would find me a friend and, you know, come bring this poor kid back to me and go, okay, Justin, this guy's going to be your friend. And I can remember showing up at school and just being very reserved, very shy, and uh, was really like that up into the ninth grade. We got our first computer pretty early, 1985. I was five years old. Uh, my parents came home with a Commodore VIC-20 and it was already pretty old by that point. Uh, it had been out for some years, but you know, for our family, this was a pretty big deal. And you know, I was fascinated with it right away. It was like a, a television that you could control. And there was something about that that really appealed to me. So computers were obviously his outlet. They allowed him to work on his shyness privately and slowly while creating, creating, creating. You know, computers really represent the modern-day woodshops for kids. Whereas young boys would once tinker alone behind the house with wood and saws, chisels and sanding discs, maybe sharing their creations with friends and family, boys and girls alike now click around with blogging, with coding, with design, with Photoshop, sharing their creations socially. The tools have changed, but the behavior really hasn't. We all still tinker. We'll always tinker and create. It's just that the medium has changed how we share it, too. That's how it was with Justin. Computers were an outlet for him, and they opened his mind to possibilities, like others we've had on the show, no matter any feelings of fear or shyness he faced. I remember getting a CD-ROM drive in my computer for the first time, and that was the first time you could have video on a computer. Um, you know, getting the encyclopedia on CD-ROM was a really big deal. I would see these things, and I would immediately want to build them. And so being able to create some of these things, and then that all led into the web. It's so easy to, to get the basics of it. And it's so gratifying because you can immediately write something and then publish it. And the idea that, you know, this kid, 14-year-old kid, um, and 
if your listeners want, I, I've told, I've talked about this before, but if your listeners want to see what I look like, if you Google nerd mullet, I'm the number one image result for nerd mullet. And uh, you can see me in grade nine. Um, so this was me, 14 years old, just this nerdy kid, glasses, braces, headgear, this, this ridiculous looking hair. And I was figuring out that I could write and I could publish it on the web on GeoCities at the time. And people around the world could see it. And that just blew my mind. That was a, an incredibly transforming experience because before I was making, you know, things like CD-ROMs and little software things, but it was only my family that was seeing it and maybe my friends. The web was like, I could, I can connect with people in China. Wow. Like what that, can you imagine? And like, I can publish it now and immediately somebody in Australia or Russia or India could go to that page and read what I've written. It just, that was really crazy to me. And um, I've, I've been a big fan of the web ever since. Justin's parents were both teachers. They worked for a private boarding school with his dad serving as headmaster. And given his parents' career, Justin had access to computers at a very early age and new versions as the years would roll by. They've always been interested in in exposing us to new things and, you know, getting us to read at an early age. You know, another thing they did is they had a friend at the University of Alberta who worked in, in the computer lab or whatever. And so before 93, I had access to the internet through the university. And so he gave me, I think, I don't think he was even allowed to do this, but he gave me a University of Alberta email account as a you know 10 year old kid there it was like the wild west back then and overall i i, I think that was a really good experience and really foundational it, it was a lot of it kind of determined a lot of what i became in the future and so the story goes for a few years justin loved creating games and building multimedia presentations beyond your typical powerpoint but he could never get over the hump of actually coding software apps or programs there was a mental block for him with that aspect of tinkering with computers. We all have our limitations, it seems like. We can't do it all. And that's the case with Justin as well. For my, I think it was my 12th birthday or something. You know, we'd moved up by this point. We got different PCs. For my 12th birthday, I asked for a copy of Turbo Pascal, which is uh, was kind of like an early object-oriented programming language. I remember being really excited about you know, doing things. I wanted to create games, but I was just not very good at it. Um, and it maybe it was because I was a kid out in the country and I didn't really have anyone to mentor me. But I think, <laughs> you know, the I've just been way more interested with kind of visual things on computers and um, I, the actual nitty gritty of writing code and speaking that language was really difficult for me. You know, my friend Patrick McKenzie has uh, I told I've told him these stories and he said you know there's actually a powerful narrative here which is there's a lot of people like you Justin there's a lot of people that are geeks who can't code and uh, he thinks that I should actually be talking about it more because he thinks that creating a label for an identity can be kind of a powerful catalyst and I, I think one thing I discovered growing up is that 
there are lots of things you can do with computers, lots of things you can create with computers, lots of ways to be involved with computers that don't involve code. So Justin finishes high school, moves through university, and you'd think his first move in his career would be as a freelance designer or some role similar to that. Well, you'd be wrong. I took a kind of hard right turn, graduated high school in 98, went and got my business degree. And when I graduated, I uh, became a youth worker for about seven years. This organization had a pretty big impact on me in school and, uh, you know, did mentorship and camping and all sorts of stuff. And I just felt like I wanted to kind of give back in the same way that I'd been impacted. And so it was probably longer than I should have. uh, But that experience there, I mean, I was learning everything from public speaking to fundraising to leadership to uh, how to be a manager, how to budget, how to do accounting. There's a lot of things that maybe I take for granted that I, I learned there. As those seven years moved along, Justin felt like something else was missing. He felt like while he was making a difference in the lives of others, there was even more he could be doing and maybe for a different audience. Maybe others needed him. The worry was also there that he wasn't learning other business skills he'd need further along in his life. But with those first years of his career tied up in the nonprofit world, he knew he might have to start at the bottom, which, to his credit, he was willing to do. By this time, he was married and already had children. His willingness to start at the bottom while applying the skills he had gained over those first few years led to a job offer. I applied at the Apple store to be like a retail Apple person. This was before Apple was a big deal. Um, I applied to be a window salesperson, like selling window, you know, like replacements for not windows on a PC, windows in your house. So I was just kind of thinking, like, how am I going to feed my kids? Like, I just, I got to do whatever it takes here. And I got this really serendipitous call from a guy who was on the board of this nonprofit I worked for and who had kind of unbeknownst to me been waiting for me to quit and said, hey, this is Greg from Mailout and I heard that you quit. And I said, yeah. And he's like, oh, that's such good news. (laughs) And I'm like, what are you talking? He's like, he's like, I would love for you to come and work for me. And so um, I went and I went and visited his office and he gave me a job and I basically started at the bottom. I was answering phones, doing customer support, uh, calling and onboarding new customers. But again, I I just felt so lucky that I, I got to be there because it was a small company. I think there was five of us when I joined and I was able to, uh, it gave me a an opportunity to prove myself. When we come back, Justin Jackson begins to build his own personal brand on the side. A series of projects begin to make up who Justin is outside of his day job at Mailout. And you're going to learn how his tinkering, there's that word again, with providing value through his computer skills led to a following on Twitter, on YouTube, and elsewhere. 
and what he did with that following. But first, if you're enjoying Freelance to Founder, we want to encourage you to check out another podcast from Milo, and that's My Freelance Life. Here's a quick cut from Andy and Preston. Okay, we're going to dive into today's episode. Andy and I didn't mean to kick off the episode this way, but we got talking about um, where to actually get work done as a freelancer. That's when I mentioned that I work most days at the local library, and that's where we'll pick up today's conversation. Do you go there pretty much every day? Like pretty, unless you have like a major reason not to, you're pretty much there every day. To the library? Yeah. Yeah, I sort of treat the library like a co-working space or like kind of like my office i mean i i um yeah it's it it's become like this place where when i get there my brain knows that like i'm focused on work and i found like my desk that like no one's ever at and i have my whole setup i i like have this little wood stand for my Mm -hmm. laptop and a keyboard and a mouse like i it's probably laughable to people who were there like once (laughs) i'm there every day but but i have this whole setup that i that i i set up (laughs) They are now on episode seven. Check them out at Milo.co. That's M-I-L-L-O dot C-O. My Freelance Life. Uh, I got exposed to all sorts of new ideas. The first week he gave me this book called uh, Getting Real, which was by the 37 Signals guys, which is now Basecamp. Uh, and I read that book and I I was just like, this this is what I want to do. I want to, I want to build a business like this. And so I worked for Greg and kind of worked my way up uh, until I was product manager. And uh, I left, so I went from 2008 to 2014, I think, there. To tell you the truth, like, I came out of the nonprofit world going, okay, you know, the nonprofit world isn't that's not the big leagues. You know, we, we were doing everything wrong. We were running this ramshack, you know, business. And, and then, you know, I thought, I can't wait to get into the real world. And then I'll see how people do it. And I just, I got into the real world. And one reason I think I, I, I was able to kind of advance so quickly is nonprofits are so hard. And I realized, like, I had accumulated all these skills that most people never get exposed to. And so I was just like, like my first week, one of my coworkers pulled me aside and said, man, you gotta like slow down. Like you're, (laughs) and I'm like, are you serious? Like I felt like I was working half as hard. So Justin quickly learned how to navigate in the fast paced startup software world as a product manager. And it was a little like coming back home to the nerdy things he loved as a younger man. And by the way, Nerdy is his word, not mine. But over those years, Justin started a few projects of his own. One in particular was a podcast titled Product People. That was a show dedicated to other product managers, and he riffed on the software world, uh, brought periodic guests on, and had a great time. He even had a sponsor in a company called Sprintly. I mean, I've always wanted to run my own business. And, uh, you know, I've ran little businesses on the side my whole life. Uh, we skipped one section of my life, which was like when I was 21, I started a couple snowboard shops with with some with some friends. Yeah, so there's always been stuff on the stuff on the side. Uh, but after the snowboard shops closed, my wife and I made a deal that I would not do something uh, in business like that again 
until all of our kids were in school. And so around 2014, 2015, uh, our youngest was in kindergarten. And I said, you know, I really want to start making the transition to running my own business. And so one way I thought I could do that was by consulting and having just one or two clients. And Sprintly had been an advertiser on my podcast, Product People. And so uh, he reached out to me in the past and said, you know, we might be interested in hiring you. And I replied and said, you know, I, I'll come and work for you, but I don't want to be an employee. I just want to be a contractor because I want to have at least a sense of I'm starting my own business. That sponsorship slash contractor relationship lasted quite some time. He served as Sprintly's outsourced product marketing manager while also running the podcast and building a super engaged following on Twitter and even on YouTube. He also spoke at a few conferences, establishing himself as a really credible, forward-thinking product guy and startup consultant. He was fully transparent and humble about everything he was doing as well on the show and with a variety of projects he introduced while working at Sprintly. It was really refreshing. I started the Product People podcast in 2012. 2000, and, and that was a huge, huge step because all of a sudden I had an audience. Before that, I had been blogging. You know, I'd been blogging since 2008, but no one cared. I was writing about all sorts of stuff. And then my friend Kyle and I were both product managers. I was at MailOut. He was at another startup. And we said, well, let's, start, let's talk about, let's do a podcast about product and interview you know, all these interesting product people. And so we did that, and it just resonated. A, a lot of people started listening to that show, especially kind of at the time, there wasn't any other show like that. And so a lot of the who's who in San Francisco and you know, bootstrappers and other people started listening to that show. But you know, we, we might have gotten up to depending on the episode, like seven or 8,000 uh, downloads an episode. Um, but at the time, I mean, I mean, and again, like now there's a lot of, I have friends that have shows that have, you know, a hundred thousand downloads an episode. But at the time it was like the one, if you were into bootstrapping or you were into product or you were into building a SaaS, it was the show you were listening to. And so it started that it started to create a little following and and I started to write about that stuff too. And so, you know, 2013 comes around and I've probably got, I don't know, a thousand or two thousand people on a mailing list. He created numerous products actually, JFDI, and I'm gonna let you Google that to find out what that stands for. But JFDI ultimately became his Mega Maker Club and he became sort of a crash test dummy for marketing ideas. Tiny Marketing Wins was another product where he shared quick and easy to implement marketing tactics for startups and solo developers. Marketing for Developers was a book and now an online course that he developed as well. Each of these took hold. Each was successful in different ways over the course of a couple of years while he held down the fort at Sprintly. But ultimately, the call to start his own thing, even breaking the tie with Sprintly, was too much. He had to answer it. You know, for me, maybe moving slower than I'd like, but still moving forward, that was that was a big part of it was, you know, I want to do this. I want to build something on my own and put it out into the world and see if people want it. 
that that was that was really key is having you know having folks that I could I could listen to mostly. Um, and at the time when I did surveys, about seventy five percent of the audience was software developers. I thought, okay, that's interesting. And when I asked them, you know, why are you following my work? Like, what what's interesting about what I'm saying? Uh, a lot of them were interested in, you know, how do I promote my product? How do I build an audience? How do I build a list? How do I do all this stuff? And so after I started the online community, the next thing I did was this little book called Amplification, which just kind of taught all the little content marketing tricks I'd learned over the years. I think that made $3,000 or something. I was like, wow, okay, this is, I mean, this isn't Nathan Berry money, but this is something. I put up this page for marketing for developers and promoted it to my audience, but also pasted a link kind of nestled deep in a hacker news thread. And then the next thing I knew, I had two or 3,000 people that signed up for it. And I tried other things before. The nice thing about trying a lot of things is you, you can compare you know, what works and what doesn't. And uh, this just seemed to like, this took off like nothing I'd ever tried. Uh, so a lot of the things that didn't work weren't focused on that audience. And like there's tons and tons of experiments. I, I was like a kid in a candy store. I, I you know, I, I finally was free from work and from clients and I, I, I just went nuts. Keaton Shaw has this advice that I, I repeat all the time, which is, you know, whenever you go to Heaton for advice, he'll go, okay, well, what's already working? We often kind of go and say, well, I want to do something different. But what's already working is probably a better indicator of where you should go than, you know, anything new is going to be. There's so much we could unpack from that last two minutes from Justin that I want to encourage you to just rewind it and listen to it again. But what Justin learned is that one approach to success is finding the audience you want to serve, lending your skills to that audience, and eventually just flat out asking them what they most need help with, like he mentioned, and delivering it over and over through a variety of channels. And by the way, we've talked to others on the show who tapped into communities like Joanna Weeb, Cortland Allen, and now Justin Jackson all tracked and participated in the conversations at Hacker News. And here's the thing, they built products or courses to help people lurking in those communities. But what's good for one community may not always work in another. That's something else that Justin has learned along the way. Uh, courses have gotten very competitive, and um, especially in my niche, there are things that I'm trying that might work for me, that might not work for other people, and there's things that they might try that might not work for me. The, the, the key is to, I think, really understand what's going on in your niche. One thing I'm asking a lot of folks in you know, in my audience is, are you tired of online courses? What would make online training more meaningful for you? There's all sorts of models that you could try. What's tricky is you have to get everything else right at the same time. So you could try something new and you could, it, maybe it didn't work, but maybe, for example, you didn't build up enough anticipation uh, to that thing. Maybe there wasn't enough urgency. Uh, maybe there was no immediate reason to sign up. And so you might say, well, that was a failure. I, I tried something and it didn't work. But there's a lot of reasons uh, 
that people might not have bought right then, but might buy in the future. And sometimes it means you just have to be patient. <laughs> like if you're going to embark on this journey of making things, you you almost can't get too discouraged. <laughs> you're going to you're going to try something and it might work, it might not. And if it doesn't work, you can't give up hope. You've got to try something else. And every time you try something, you get a new data point. All right, data points aside, there came the time when Justin knew it was time to stop building side project products like Tiny Marketing Wins and Marketing for Developers when the latter had produced over $65,000 in revenue alone for him one year, and he was ready to go all in on his own, full-time. He'd saved up considerably, consulted with his wife, and officially decided to break off on his own in January 2016 with these lessons in tow. Uh, I felt ready because I had a mailing list that was, you know, probably 8,000 people or something. Uh, I had built up a bunch of contacts uh, through my podcast and through going to conferences. Uh, I knew a, a handful of key people in, uh, let's say, the indie developer space. And I had a product that was generating about... 66,000 in sales. And so those three things combined made me feel like, you know, I if these folks have bought something from me already, it's likely they'll buy something else again. I have a channel that I can use, which is my mailing list, you know, and I've got these contacts that I can I can reach out to if I need some special favors and, and things like that. So it felt like you know, there's enough going on here. And I've been doing it at, by that point since 2012. So four years of, you know, gradually building this thing up and feeling like, you know, this this wasn't like something that happened over six months. This is something that happened over four years. And I could kind of see the trajectory. I mean, there's always fear. The uh, another thing that makes it easier for me is that in Canada we have public health care, and so you know if my kids get sick they can go to the doctor and it doesn't there's no cost for that. You know entrepreneurs and solopreneurs in the states that's something they always have to consider. Am I giving up this our health insurance? That that is a huge risk. Emotionally, it is we you know we've been through. The I think I told you we had a couple retail shops in our early 20s and that was very taxing emotionally. And so I think a really valid kind of concern is like a job can affect you emotionally. You can have a hard time with your coworkers. You can have a stressful period at work. You can feel the pressure of having to conform to the system. You know, you got to be at work from nine to five no matter what, but you trade all of that for the kind of reassurance that you're going to get paid every month. You know where the cash is going to come from. Emotionally, running your own business is, you know, there's some months where sales are up and then there's some months where sales are down. And that part can be, that can, that can be tricky emotionally. Justin was able to keep his emotions in check and successfully build his personal Justin Jackson brand including the channels and products he'd built while at Mailout and Sprintly, and he struck out on his own. 
one secret ingredient he believes in, though, and it's one Sarah Morgan mentioned on our last episode, is having a close-knit group who will hold you accountable for hitting your own goals and push you to be your best. I had a weekly mastermind uh, group with Paul Jarvis and Jared Drysdale, and we'd been doing that for years, even before I went independent. So that weekly meeting where I can really honestly say, you know, this is what I'm worried about. This is where I'm at. You know, they're not trying to be nice or make me feel good. They're just trying to give me real honest feedback and things to try. So they're kind of, if I'm, you know, blind in any sort of way, it's really hard to self-diagnose. I kind of trust them to give me a diagnosis when I'm you know, struggling with something in, in the business, they can, they can look at me and go, you know what? I, I think this is where you're, you're getting off track or what you said you were going to try this, but you still haven't. Maybe you need to go back to that. And though that's something he felt he did right, there was something he felt he got wrong when forging ahead on his own. And it forced him to face some early demons in life. Uh, I think the other thing I did wrong that I would actually advise anybody who's running their own business is to start going to therapy regularly even when you think you don't need it so like once a month because you know I got hit with some really hard emotional stuff uh, in my personal life and uh, I think I was confused by people that struggled with mental illness and depression and you know uh, emotional problems I always felt like well they're just weak but what I realized once I got into that, once I was depressed, how much, like, it just takes all the wind out of your sails. That Hulk can punch you into the ground over and over again. And if you don't have any sort of, uh, any, any avenue in your life to get some professional help, um, that can really affect you. The emotional toll of working on your own can be very real for some people, maybe many people. That's good advice on self-care from Justin. That's often overlooked across the multitude of advice that's given to aspiring founders and entrepreneurs. You know, I used to think that we were thinking beings that felt, and now I feel like we're emotional beings that think. And um, I, if you're not taking care of that side of you, and I mean really taking care of it in the sense of like, I'm going to go and find a therapist now when I feel good and I'm going to meet with that person a few times and then when I need help I'll I'll be able to go and and that that path has already been cleared. I didn't I didn't want to feel uncomfortable or to feel you know um any sort of pain but I realized that you really need to lean into those things. Um, discomfort is is kind of the key. You can't be just looking for an easy life. The, the key to growth, the key to becoming a better you, the key to building a better business is to be uncomfortable. And so if you're getting into this to you know be in a hammock on a beach and have no worries and no uh, difficulty in your life, then don't, don't because you there's no way you're going to grow without being uncomfortable. And this past year was the hardest I've ever had, but I wouldn't trade it for anything because 
all what it's pushed me to is this new step, this new stage. Despite all of that, next, what Justin shares are some parting thoughts for those still doing work on the side, not yet ready to push forward full time. Yeah, I mean, initially, the whole goal was if I could just have an independent income and quit my job and quit consulting, then that that's the dream. Once you get there, you then have to figure out a way to sustain that in a way that makes sense. And so initially, all I could see was, I just need to get to $100,000 in revenue and I'll be fine. And once you get there, um, you need to look at, okay, well, that's great. You did it, but that's only step one. Uh, there's a bunch more steps here that you need to, you need to figure out. And that's the story of Justin Jackson. Since he and I spoke, he's debuted his latest creation, a podcast service targeting businesses to help them launch and host their own podcast. Check it out at Transistor.fm. Now, stay tuned next week. We're heading back to the design world as we speak with Dave Tendrich and Lou Levitt from Reliable PSD. And I'd love to hear what you thought of this episode. Shoot me a note on Twitter at Brandon Hull or share your thoughts on this episode and the show overall by leaving your review in the Apple Podcasts app. For all of us here at Mellow, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time on Freelance to Founder.